in the series with uh, um, regards to faith toward God, which is the second out of the six foundational doctrines uh, taught to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And um, in this particular series of, of teachings, we want to look specifically at applying faith in our daily lives. How do we go about applying faith in our daily lives? We've looked at so many aspects of faith up until now. We've looked at the fact that um, we all have faith. We've, we've looked at what faith is. We've looked at how to increase our faith, how to grow in faith. Um, how do we get faith? We've looked at applying faith in our prayer life very briefly. Um, but over the next uh, number of teachings, we, we want to have a look at how do we play, apply faith in our daily living because uh, the scripture very plainly says our God, our God our Father says the just shall live by faith so it's important for us to understand just how to uh, go about living by faith because this is a requirement given to us by God and so the, the, the topic of today's discussion that we want to have a look at is the I've titled it having what you say because it is uh, applicable to faith, and um, we'll have a look at the, the, the text verse of Scripture now um, that our Lord Jesus taught us on, on faith. And one of the very key areas of faith is that what comes out of our mouths affects how our faith works and whether it does work or not. In fact, faith is always working um, because whatever we believe is coming out of our mouths consistently and that is what we're experiencing in life um, but let's have a look at what the scriptures say along this line let's see what our lord jesus teaches us along this line and we'll break it out into into the various principles so that we can more easily understand how this aspect of faith works in that we can have what we say and we in fact we do each one of us have what we say all the time and the, uh, the text scripture we want to look at today is in Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 22. And just the two verses of scripture, 22 and 23, we're going to highlight uh, on this particular topic today. And this is our Lord speaking. He says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And so we want to see, the Lord has is, is placed a lot of emphasis on what we say in just these uh, two verses of Scripture. And uh, he ends off that uh, um, comment by saying he will have whatever he says. And so our Lord has taught us in this passage of scripture a number of, of principles that we're going to look at and we're going to break down and go through them um, that are all very pertinent to faith and just how faith actually does work one of the things our lord said is that whoever says to this mountain and so our lord is talking about everybody whoever is whoever there's no this is our lord is not talking about a select grouping of individuals He's not talking about the apostles. He's not talking about uh, people who are anointed of God, people who have received, for argument's sake, the gift of faith, for there is such a thing as the gift of faith, as taught us in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But that's something else entirely. This is now our daily living faith. And uh, we have already dealt with the fact that there is such a thing as ministry gift faith and there's day, our daily living faith. And we're dealing with our daily living faith. And our Lord has said to us in this passage of, of Scripture that this is applicable to everyone, whoever says to this mountain, our Lord said. And so if you take these principles that our Lord teaches us in this, these passages of Scripture, these two verses of Scripture, and apply them to your life, for you are a whoever in the body of Christ, it is applicable for you and it will work for you. Our Lord has taught us very clear principles on just how faith works in these two passages of Scripture. And um, one, of the one of the things that our Lord has taught us is that we will have whatever we say. Um, let's just read the Scripture again just to reinforce it. Uh, he says, 
For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. This is not prayer. This is now what we say. Um, this is our confession that we speak. This is not when we go on our knees and we've dealt with um, how to apply our faith in our prayer life. This is now applying faith in our daily walking and our daily conversation, our daily speaking. This is um, how faith works in what we say. But I want you to know that this is not, our Lord is not teaching on positive confession in this uh, passage of Scripture. Because uh, people t look at this and they say, yeah, okay, but that's positive confession. That is, And you look at, uh, you have worldly teachings out there that if you say things enough, it's going to happen in your life and it's going to come to pass. Jesus is not teaching about that at all. In context, what has happened it, when our Lord makes this uh, statement and he teaches the disciples on faith, what has happened, the background here, um, is that our Lord Jesus has cursed a fig tree and that fig tree has withered up and died and the apostles have seen that or the disciples have seen that and they've, they've commented they said Lord look the, the fig tree that you cursed has withered up and died in response to the disciples physically seeing what has transpired because you're, you're calling the account the day before the morning before, our Lord went up to the fig tree looking for fruit on the tree. Uh, there was no fruit because it wasn't yet the season for figs. And our Lord said, may no one eat fruit from you ever again. And he walked off. Um, nothing happened. And they go into Jerusalem and the Lord spends the day in Jerusalem and teaching. They come out that evening and they walk past the same fig tree and go to uh, Bethel where he was. I think it was Bethel where he was staying. Um, Bethsaida. Um, and still no change to the fig tree that is visible to anybody. And they walk past. The following morning on their way into Jerusalem, they walk past the same fig tree, and now they see the fig tree is completely withered away and died. And Peter brings it to the Lord's attention. He said, look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you've cursed is withered. And now our Lord teaches them the principle. So he's teaching them on the fact that he'd spoken to that fig tree, the morning before, and he'd said to the fig tree, may no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the Bible talks about the fact that he'd cursed the fig tree. And the following morning, they see now evidence of this fig tree having been cursed and withered up and died. And so this is not positive confession, because no amount of positive confession uh, will wither up a fig tree and cause that fig tree to wither up and die. You can stand in front of, in front of, front of a fig tree for the rest of your life and uh, confess positively over that victory. Nothing is going to change. This is uh, um, looking at the opening statement that our Lord made when he, he taught the disciples on this aspect of faith. What is his opening statement? In verse 22 it says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. And so when Jesus is saying we can have what we say, he's saying that in relation to us having faith in God, because it is the almighty um, power of God that causes fig trees to wither up and die. It is the power of God that causes, um, our Lord gives the, 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 the example, he says, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, um, and does not doubt it, they will have what they say. And so he's talking about a physical mountain. No amount of positive confession moves mountains. No amount of positive confession uh, withers up fig trees. It is the power of God that moves mountains, and it is the power of God that withers up fig trees. And so our Lord is talking about speaking uh, words that um, are endued with the power of Almighty God, and that is what causes the, the, the change to take place, so to speak. Um, and so the very first principle that our Lord teaches us uh, from this passage of Scripture is that we're to have faith in God. Uh, it's not faith in what we say. It's not faith in, you know, if I keep saying it long enough, um, I'm going to believe it eventually and it's going to come to pass. No, our faith is in God. Our faith is not in uh, man's words. And so this is not uh, positive confession. That I need to make that very clear because 
confusion does creep in here because Satan kind of tries to influence people to think, okay, well, this is positive confession, so this is a worldly teaching, so you know, don't go down that road. This is not positive confession. This is having faith in God and in His almighty power. And it's those words that uh, God watches over to perform. We're going to have a look at uh, that particular scripture as well. Um, let's have a look at uh, uh, scripture just to reinforce the fact that Jesus is actually teaching his church to have faith in God when we speak. And we expect those things to come to pass. That which we expect to come to pass by what we say, we expect it to come to pass because the power of God is involved in the words that we speak, not because of man's natural ability to just you know chant the same thing over and over and over again, and it's going to then eventually happen. That that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what the 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 the, uh, the Bible teaches the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul makes it very plain in writing to the church at Corinth. He says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so what Paul's talking about, the fact is that when he came and he preached the gospel there, he did it in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that their faith would not be resting in the wisdom of man's words, but rather in the power of God. And that is where our faith should rest. Our faith should always reside in the power of God, for it is God's power that causes things to happen. It's not anything else. Uh, the words we speak should be the words of God that we are speaking, and we'll have a look at that side of it. But it is always going to be um, the power of God that causes things to change, and not our words and our words alone. Our words are as, as a response to our, our faith in the power of God. Look at what he says again in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. It's talking about the wisdom of man's words and, and listening to what men have to say. And, you know, that put, whatever this um, guru is talking about, oh, you know, those are powerful words. We can live by them. No, uh, Paul's not, he's saying that's not what it's all about. He said, your faith must be in the power of God. And so when I came to preach the gospel to you, I did it in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So they, so they could see the tangible power of God being made manifest. How was that, Paul? Well, it was through the laying on of hands and, and people were being healed in their, in, their, in their midst and people were being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues and, and experiencing the tangible power of God. So people would realize, okay, God is actually real. His power is real. His transforming power is real. I've watched a person's eyes being opened up before me, and that is God. That is no positive confession. And that is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. And that is what our Lord is trying to get us to understand. When he says, you can say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. It's not because of what you can say, but have faith in God. Have faith in his power. For his power is able to do that. And, he, and Jesus and, and Paul are both trying to teach the church. That is where our faith rests. And that is what we must believe in the almighty God and in his power if we're going to have what we say. And so the very first principle in order to apply faith in, in uh, having what we say is that our faith must be in the power of God. So God, when I speak, it is your power that is going to cause a change to take place over what I'm speaking, uh, the area that I'm speaking about. It is not because Mike is such a, an eloquent speaker for argument's sake. It is not because um, we chant these things over and over and over again and because we've said them enough, eventually it happens. No, that's not the case at all. It is because the power of Almighty God is released in the words that we speak. And when the power of God is released in the words we speak, well, then it's the power of God that causes the change to take place. And so that is where our faith is, is in the power of God. It is not in the words that come out of the mouth of man. And so this, there is another a second principle that our Lord has taught us in this very short passage of Scripture with regards to faith. And that is that we must not doubt in our hearts. Um, let's go back and read it again just so we can uh, pick it up. And... Um, he said, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, 
but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And so the Lord is saying that it's important that we believe in our heart, that we do not doubt in our heart. Now, when our Lord is talking about our hearts here in this passage of Scripture, he's talking about the spirit of man, um, because it is with our hearts that we believe, um, with our spirits we believe. We do not have faith in our heads, in our, in our minds. Faith does not reside in the mind. Faith resides in the heart of man. Now, when our Lord spoke to the disciples, it was possible for them to doubt in their hearts. Why is that? Because they were not yet born again. Their spirits had not yet been recreated in uh, Christ Jesus. Their spirits were spiritually dead. And so it was possible for their spirits to doubt. However, however when we come into the new covenant, things change dramatically um, because our spirits are born again. Our spirits are recreated in the image of God. Um, we're born again of incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. And so we cannot doubt in our spirits. It, it is actually impossible for us as, as Christians to doubt in our spirits. Um, let's have a look at a, a scripture along this line, Romans chapter 10 verse 8 and 10. You know, this is how we come into the kingdom of God. Um, we have to do certain things in order to be saved. And Paul teaches us what we have to do. He says, but what, is it, what does it say? Talking about the scriptures. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So there's the saying part. We need to confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so there's the two conditions that have to be met in order for us to be saved. We have to believe in our hearts and we have to confess with our mouths. Those two conditions, if we meet them, then we will be saved. The scripture very plainly says, you will be saved. And then he goes on to, to uh, reinforce it. He says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so we believe with our hearts. We do not believe with our heads. It is in, uh, there's no faith in our minds. Faith resides in the heart. And we saw earlier in, in the teachings of the series of teachings is that faith is given to us as a gift from God. And when it's given to us, it is given to us in our spirits. It's in our spirits that we believe um, that we have this, this measure of faith that is given to us. It's never given, a, given to us in our minds. Um, in 1 John chapter 3, uh, John writes and he says, for he who is born of God cannot sin. And so it is our spirits that are born of God. Our minds are never born of God. Our minds have to be renewed. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, verse 2 says, Be no longer conformed unto this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when we come into the kingdom of God, it is our spirits that are born again. Our spirits... Um, are recreated in Christ Jesus. They are born again of incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. But our minds don't change. Our minds still have to be renewed. And we renew our minds uh, by spending time in the Word of God. And so it is the spirit of man that cannot sin. When John, uh, in, his, in his epistle, says, He who is born of God cannot sin. I go look it up. He says, You cannot sin. That's Your spirit cannot sin. Um, it, it has to be that way because when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within our spirits. And the Holy Spirit cannot reside where there is sin, for in Him is no sin. And so the only reason that the Holy Spirit can dwell within our spirits is because our spirits are sin-free. They are born again of incorruptible seed. It, they cannot be corrupted. And so the Spirit of man, born again Spirit of man, cannot sin. You need to understand that truth very clearly. And uh, I, I don't know how else to just emphasize it. But it ties up now with what we're talking about with faith. So why is it so important that we realize that the spirit of man, born again, spirit of man cannot sin. Okay. 
Well, it's important because of this passage of Scripture, which is in Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and verse 23. I'm going to read those two verses of Scripture. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Rome, and he says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, that's, and we'll come back to that particular point. Then moving on to verse 23, he says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And so here we see that if we doubt, doubt, Paul is contrasting faith and doubt. And he says, he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Why, Paul? Because he's not eating from faith. And then he says, he explains it. He says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So in effect, he's saying doubt is sin. And it is impossible now. Remember, we've gone back to, to 1 John um chapter 3, where John teaches us that he who is born of God cannot sin. And Peter teaches us that we're born again of incorruptible seed, that, that seed cannot be corrupted, for the Holy Spirit resides within our spirits. Our spirits cannot sin. It's impossible for them to sin. Um, and so the spirit can't doubt. For if our spirits could doubt, then our spirits could sin. And yet we've seen in Scripture plainly tells us our spirits cannot sin. And so consequently, our spirits cannot doubt. It is impossible for the spirit of the born-again believer to doubt. That is an absolute impossibility. Your spirit cannot doubt. For if it could doubt, your spirit could sin. And if your spirit can sin, then your spirit would die automatically uh, because um, the moment that your spirit sins, your spirit dies. And we don't, I don't want to go into that teaching. It's a different uh, line of thought, different teaching completely. However, the point is, and the Holy Spirit would have to withdraw and have to leave you. But He never leaves us. He always lives within us. And He, in Him, is no sin. And so He cannot abide in sin, and so the Spirit cannot sin. Um, the, our, the Spirit of the human, born-again spirit, uh, uh, born-again believer, um, it remains sinless from the time that they come into the kingdom until the time we go to be with the Lord and for all eternity. No sin. And so consequently, the spirit of the born-again believer cannot doubt. That you need to understand and, 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 and meditate on that truth and allow the, the, the Spirit of God to really open up that truth to you. Because it's very important where you, that you understand how these things work if you're going to apply faith in your daily living and apply it effectively so that it will work for you. And one of the truths that you need to really understand is that your spirit only believes. Your spirit has no capacity to doubt the Word of God. Your spirit has no capacity to doubt because if it could, your spirit could sin. Your spirit cannot sin, therefore your spirit cannot doubt. However, in that passage of Scripture, we see Christians doubting because Paul says it very plainly in verse 23. He says, but he who doubts, he's talking to believers now. Okay, and he's saying that believers, it's possible for you to doubt because he says, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. So if my spirit cannot doubt, it's impossible. My spirit can only believe. And yet as a believer, it is possible for me to doubt. Where's the doubt? Well, Paul answers it in verse 5 of that same passage of scripture we read. He says, let each be fully convinced, where? In his own mind. And so the believer is able to doubt in their minds. Because why? Because mind, the mind, there's no faith in the mind. Um, it is, your, your mind can doubt because our minds still have to be renewed. Our minds are not recreated in Christ Jesus. Our minds have to be renewed to the Word of God. So it is possible for believers to doubt, but where believers doubt is they doubt in their minds. They cannot doubt in their hearts. 
there's spirits. Remember our Lord Jesus said that if you say unto this mountain, be rather removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. And so we do not doubt in our hearts anymore because our hearts are now uh, born again. And so our hearts only believe, but we can nevertheless doubt and we doubt in our minds because Paul has, has written, uh, shown us that we need to be fully convinced in our own minds. Um, and if we're not fully convinced in your mind, well, then you can have doubts in your mind. Um, James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 and 8 confirms what Paul has been uh, saying to us in Romans chapter 14. For he says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. So now James is contrasting faith and doubting. And we, and we know that faith and doubt are the two opposites of the same, uh, uh, on the same coin, I suppose you could put it that way. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is what? A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so James very clearly, uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle James, very clearly equates doubt with double-mindedness. And so doubt in the believer, life of the believer always exists in the mind, never in the spirit. And that is why um, we are taught to become spiritually minded, because to be carnally minded is, is, is death. And the, 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 the carnal mind is enmity against uh, the, the, the Word of God and God Himself. And that's why the Bible talks about the spirit lusts against the flesh and the, and the flesh against the, the spirit, because the two are at opposite poles of each other. Um, the spirit wants to believe and can only believe. The carnal mind only doubts the word of God. The carnal mind cannot believe the word of God. It's, it's an impossibility for the carnal mind to believe the word of God. And so the two are going to contra and they're going to clash. They're going to be at odds with each other. And that is why we have to renew our minds and become spiritually minded. We have to set our minds on the things of the spirit in order that we can walk in the spirit, our spirits are ready to go. Our spirits are ready to walk as God has, has, has created them to walk. We have to uh, hook up with our spirits, so to speak, with our minds in that our minds have now got to be renewed to the word of God and think along the lines of the word of God. And so it's very important for you to recognize when doubt arises, where it comes from and where it is, it is only in your mind. You can only ever, as a born-again believer, you can only ever doubt in your mind. All right. So if you, as you recognize that, it becomes easier to deal with doubt because now you know, okay, doubt's in my mind. I'm thinking the wrong thoughts. These are thoughts. This is not who I am. This is not my, my spirit uh, doubting God. This is my mind, my carnal mind, beginning to doubt God. And also, um, you can recognize exactly where, where who's put that, that, that thought there. It's not God. For d doubt, God never speaks doubt. God never uh, promotes doubt. God doesn't doubt. And so if there's any doubt that uh, arises in your mind, it is not from God. And so it's so easy to actually deal with it because doubt's not from God. So I will not doubt because that's not God. My spirit who's born again uh, certainly doesn't doubt. So if there's any thoughts of doubt, I know straight immediately that those thoughts are wrong. Those thoughts are not of God. And so I need to bring those thoughts in under control in um, Corinthians, uh, 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible teaches us to bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when he says bring every thought into captivity, what is he saying? He's saying we need to have our bring our thought, our thinking process into line with the Word of God. Uh, it is so vital for believers to control their thoughts. You cannot allow your thoughts to just be open up for everything that comes its way. Because don't forget, the, we're in um, a world that is fallen. This world is uh, under the, the rule of, of the, the, the God of this world, who is Satan. And there are myriads of, of demons out there. Um, 
Aldor dealt with a lot of them when he was on the earth. They didn't go away. They're still, they're still on the earth. And our Lord didn't deal with every demon that was on the planet at the time. And there's lots of them out there. And so, you know, you're going to get thoughts from all sorts of, of, of avenues. You, you're going to expose your own mind to, to things and those will create thoughts. But you're going to get a, a little demon coming. And, you know, let me put it out there. This is, this is how things happen. The demon will come and sit on your shoulder and the demon will put a thought into your mind and that thought will not be of God. And so Christians who don't control their thoughts will just entertain that thought and continue to dwell on it and let it grow and and not control their, their thoughts and their thoughts will go. And you, you I watch people, you, you see them, they're fine at one minute and the next minute they just start to become more and more depressed. And you can see very clearly what's happened is that a little demon has pitched and, and put a thought into their mind and they've started to dwell on that thought. And where's, you know, 10 minutes before they were all chirpy, now they're starting to not feel so chirpy anymore. What's changed? It's purely what they're thinking about. And so we have to bring our thoughts into captivity unto the obedience of Christ Jesus. You have to, as a, as a born-again believer, you have to control your thoughts. You are in full control of your thoughts. No one can force you to think about anything. You decide what you're going to think about. I don't care who it is. God can't force you to think about anything. And God won't. Um, he, he puts it out there. He said, you know, I'm, I'm setting before your life and death. Choose life. But it's our choice. We decide what we're going to think about. And that's why God says, don't be conformed to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But he puts the ball in our court. He tells us to renew our minds. God's not going to program us. We're not robots. God has not uh, created uh, a race of robots that he just now does the download of the latest app into our minds. And now we just think along those lines. Not at all. God has given each one of us our own free will. And we decide um, how much of God, we're going to absorb, kind of, that's not the right way of putting it across, but we decide how much we're going to give to God and how much we're going to withhold from God. And that includes our thought life. It is so vital. You go study the, uh, our Lord's uh, life when he walked the earth. He only ever thought about the word of God. He said, your word is my meditation all the day. Um, even in the midnight, watch, in, in the early hours of the, of the morning, he would wake up and he would Ponder and think about the Word of God. And we need to become saturated with the Word of God because unless you do, you will have no benchmark to, to, to um, judge your thoughts against. So in other words, you'll, you'll be thinking along a line and unless you are uh, au fait with what God's Word says about that, you're not going to be saying, wait a minute, this, what I'm thinking now is actually wrong. I shouldn't be thinking along that line because God's word says this about it. And so I'll just now you know, get rid of that thought. I'll stop thinking that way and go back to thinking the way God thinks. If you're not saturated with the word of God from that point of view, thoughts will come into your mind. And if you just let them come in, uh, you know, your thought process will go wild. Uh, and you will always be uh, a Christian that goes up and down depending on the, on the mood, depending on what's been put into your mind at that particular time. And so it's very important for us as Christians to control our thinking because now we're talking about applying faith in our daily living. And one of the areas we want to apply our faith in our daily living is, is having what we say come to pass. But we, we, in order to do that first step, our faith resides in God and His power. It's not in any kind of confession. It's in the power of Almighty God. The second thing, we have to believe in our hearts. And we do believe in our hearts because I, I hope you've understood the concept. Your spirit believes. Your spirit does not doubt. And then we have to control our thoughts because doubt arises in the mind of the believer. And it is up to the believer to control what they think about and reject every thought of doubt because Every thought of doubt is not of God. And so don't think about it. Just, you know, you recognize that's a, that's a thought of doubt. I'm not going to think about it. Thank you very much. I will think about what God says about the subject, and I will stay with that. And now we come to the third principle that our Lord teaches us in that very short passage of Scripture. And that is that we have to speak to the mountain. Uh, in that one passage of Scripture, let's go have a look at it. Our Lord deals with believing once and he and he speaks about saying three times just in those two verses of, of scripture um, and so the emphasis that our lord places 
in this having what you say, he places more emphasis in what we say than actually in what we believe. Um, and let's just pick it up so you can see it. Um, Jesus says, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, there's his saying, whosoever shall say to this mountain once, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes, there believes once, that those things he says will be done, that's twice, he will have whatever he says. So three times he mentions saying, once he mentions believing. And so we as Christians very often put the emphasis on the believing part of that scripture, whereas Jesus, in actual fact, is putting emphasis on the speaking part of that scripture. Um, why does the Lord put emphasis on what we speak? Because what we speak is what we, is what we will have. We, we, what we believe is what we're going to have, but we also have to say it in order for it to come to pass in our lives. And there is a spiritual truth to it because, remember, our faith is in the power of God. Our faith is not in anything else but in God demonstrating His power in order to transform and change that which we want to have changed. Let's have a look at a scripture which will help us to understand how it is that God gets involved in what we speak. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, the scripture says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, he's talking to Jeremiah, for I am ready to perform my word. Another, script, another translation of that says, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. And so God watches over the words that we speak. And if we're going to speak his words over our lives, he's watching over, what does he say? I'm watching, let's just read that scripture again, just get the full import across. I am ready to perform my word. So it's not our words that God is watching over to perform. He's watching over his word to perform. And so it's very important that we speak the word of God over our lives in order for God to get involved in our words, in releasing his power through our words, for he watches over his word to perform it. And so he will perform it. How does he do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, that, that is God's um, tangible power that, that creates things and, and causes things to change. Um, the new birth, two things had to be met, met. The two conditions, remember we read it in, in, in Romans chapter 10. Two conditions had to be met. We had to believe it in our hearts that God had raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And we had to confess Christ Jesus as Lord with our mouths. When we, when we met those two conditions, God watched over his word to perform what? The, new, the miracle of the new birth in our spirits and we were born again. And so God watches over um, his word to perform it. The two have to be working uh, in sync all the time. You have to believe in your heart and you have to confess with your mouth. Those two things, can, you, you can't do the one without the other. Um, let's have a look at, at the reality of that because, so we, we, we said in, in, in Romans 10, 10, there are the two conditions that have to be met in order to be saved. So this is the basic requirement of coming into the kingdom of God and the two conditions that have to be met. We have to believe in our heart and we have to confess with our mouths. You cannot do one of them and leave out the other and, ex and be saved. You won't be saved. Let's have a, a, a scripture along that line to, to prove that point. Uh, is in John chapter 12, beginning at verse 42. The scripture says, this is the... Um, uh, John narrating what had taken place in our Lord's ministry. He says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Now, this, is not talk this is talking about the rulers of, of the, the Jewish nation. Many believed in who? In Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, they believed in him. But look at this. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? 
4, in verse 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so we have here a number of leading Jewish people who were on the planet when our Lord was, was ministering on the earth, and they actually believed in him as being the Messiah. And yet the scripture says they refused to confess him as the Messiah. Why? Because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. Why? Because they loved the praise of men rather than the love of God. And so they were, people would say, yeah, they were secret believers. And there is no such thing as being a secret believer before the Lord. You have to believe in your heart and you have to confess with your mouth Christ Jesus as Lord if you're going to be saved. None of these believers were saved. Why? Because they did not confess him with their mouths. And so they, you, they, God watches over his, your belief to perform it. No, he doesn't. He watches over his word to perform it. And you have to confess with your mouth that which you believe in your heart. And God then gets involved and he causes the miracle to take place of the new birth. And so when it comes to any other, if we cannot be saved unless we meet these two requirements, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then in, in no other area are we going to receive from God except in that manner as well. God is not going to give us anything else except that we do it exactly in the same manner. We have to believe it in our heart and confess with our mouth. Jesus said that if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatever you say. And so those two conditions must be met together all the time in order for this to work, in order for God to get involved. God's not going to get involved unless you meet the two conditions. The two conditions, you believe and you speak. You believe and you confess. Then God gets involved because he watches over his word to perform it. He doesn't watch over what you believe to perform it. He watches over what you say to perform it. But what you say has to come out of what you believe. All right, so I hope you, you're kind of getting the point because I, I try to put it across as, as forcefully as I could. We're not going to get anything from God unless we meet the two, two requirements. And as I, those, those, those Jewish believers, uh, believers they weren't, they Jewish leaders, actually, I mean, that is so sad. They actually believed in Jesus as being their Messiah, and yet they refused to confess him because they, they didn't want to lose their position in the synagogue. They didn't want to be, they loved being rabbi, you know, and so I'd rather be a rabbi on earth and spend eternity in hell than lose my job as being rabbi on earth and spend eternity in heaven. That is a decision they made, but that is the, that's the reality. That's exactly what transpired. And so it's very easy for us, because now let's just come back to faithful daily living. I mean, there was quite a, a heavy uh, comment just made, but it, that's the truth of the matter. That's exactly what the scripture teaches us. Um, but let's come back to applying this uh, principle of faith to our daily living. You all, you, it's so easy for, you, for us to, to see what people believe in their hearts. We, you, can, you, you, you just listen to what they say. In their daily conversations I'm talking about, when you're talking to people, when you're just, you know, hi, how are you doing? And what comes out of their mouth tells you exactly what they believe, okay? Um, I've got this pain, I've got this ache, I've got my problems with this, and that. you know, all, all, all sorts of stuff come out. And that reveals what they believe in their hearts. What we say with our mouths reveals what we believe in our hearts. It, it, it's that simple. It's not a complicated uh, aspect. And I'm talking about our normal day-to-day -day conversations. That is where um, we are not exposed, is, is, I suppose is, is the right word. That is where your faith is exposed. In your day-to-day -day conversations that you have with everybody, be it people in the world or be it fellow believers, your day-to-day -day conversation, how you speak and what, you, what comes out of your mouth consistently reveals very clearly what you believe. And if what comes out of your mouth is not going to be the Word of God, God's not going to watch over those words to perform it, for He watches over His Word to perform it. And so it is so important for us to watch what comes out of our mouths. Let's have a look at a scripture that our Lord taught us uh, that highlights this truth for us. And it also gives us a bit of insight as to how to 
uh, bring about to con uh, controlling that. Although we've really touched on it, we've said you have to. Where, where does the Christian doubt in their minds? So how do we uh, sort out our, the doubt? Is that we control what we think in our minds, and what you consistently are thinking about is what's going to come out of your mouth. Um, with, okay, in that instance. All right, let's read the scripture and then we'll, we'll, I'll comment on it. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. This is our Lord speaking. He says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Why, Lord? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so he has no choice in the matter. Whatever's in his heart in abundance is going to come out of his mouth. Um, it's just going to happen. And so the evil man has got an abundance of evil in his heart, and that's just what's going to come out of his mouth. Now, there might be little seasons where he just speaks good words to people around him, but when he's on his own and he's talking uh, without uh, thinking and there's no control, it, what the evil stuff is just pouring out. The good man, out of the abundance of what is in his heart, the good stuff is coming out, and that's what's coming to pass. He has what he says because that's what is in his heart in abundance now when our lord is speaking about the heart here he's talking about the inner man and the inner man is made up of our spirits and our minds combined um, the two can be separated the bible does teach us about that and the mind is uh, is has to be renewed the spirit doesn't the spirit is born again um, and the two are are, are in intertwined for one of a better word okay um and so when our lord says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks he's talking about what's in our hearts in abundance in our minds and in our spirits okay and so if we have an abundance of weird stuff in our minds then that's what's going to come out of our mouths and if we have an abundance of god's word in our minds then that is what is going to come out of our minds and uh, out of our mouth sorry um and so we it's it's possible to control what you say in the short term so you in an environment where you're in a church environment and people are saying i'm going to pray for you do you believe and yes i believe and you can lay hands on me thank you lord i believe um in that very short space of time you can control what you say but you get outside and you start talking in your normal conversations and you know what you really believe will then come out and then we'll, we'll know okay this person the reason they didn't get healed because now listen to what they say you know they, they are they, I, I, well, I, I don't want to quote on what they say but all i want to emphasize is that when you listen to people in their normal day-to-day -day conversations you can locate exactly what they believe and god does exactly the same thing by the way um, he watches what comes out of our mouths and so, you know, we, we don't fool God. Um, and we only fool ourselves if we, if we think, okay, well, I can just say it now and it's going to happen. Whereas five minutes down the line, I'm saying something else completely against it. And so just in, as an aside, because in our nation currently, we, we're, we're experiencing um, that we do need to be praying for the authorities. We need to be having good governance in the country, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I keep emphasizing to the guys, I say, guys, when we pray for the nation and you pray for those in authority, you can't go nullify your prayer by getting outside and then talking badly about uh, the government and those who are in authority. Because you just prayed to the Lord that he would uh, work in their lives, and now you're going to uh, go and gossip about the very same people you just prayed about. Not going to work. God's not going to honor those prayers. And so we have to be, that wasn't a sign, but it kind of brings the point out as well, that you have to be consistent in what you say to tie up with what you prayed about. You can't pray one thing and then go say something completely opposite to that and expect God to move. Not going to happen. So we have to be consistent. And remember our Lord said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. You've got no choice in the matter. What is in your heart in abundance finds its way out of your mouth, whether you like it or not. And so where's the control? The control is what is in our hearts in abundance. We have to decide what we're going to place in our hearts in abundance because remember our lord said if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you and so he when the word of god abides in us in abundance 
then we, we're on solid ground because that's what's coming out of our mouths. And so when we pray and we say, God, I thank you for giving me that which I've petitioned of you, um, and you come outside and people say, well, you know, how's this going in your life? You say, well, I've prayed my, and God's answered my prayer. And this is what uh, he said about the situation. And thank, thank you, Lord. I've thanked him for it. And I'm just uh, waiting for the manifestation uh, to take place, whatever it might be. But you're not talking in line with what you prayed. And you're not talking contrary to what you prayed. And why is that? Because now I'm putting his word into my heart in abundance. And I have no choice in the matter. What's in my heart in abundance comes out. And if if there's an abundance of God's word in my heart, it's just going to flow. It's just going to come out as I speak to people in my daily conversation. I will only ever speak that which is in my heart in abundance, which is the word of God. Remember our Lord Jesus, one time he made the comment, he said, guys, if I were to say my, I didn't know God, God was not my father, um, I think along those lines, I'd have to lie just like you. So I can't do that because God is my father. And so I, I say what, 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 what the word of God says. And that's where we need to be is that, you know, we don't uh, try and fit in with those around us. So, you know, the, if, if we're with worldly people and they're talking in this in this manner, well, then we better just, you know, we don't want to offend anybody if we'll talk in that same manner. No, we can't do that. We talk as God talks. And we have to have His Word in abundance in our lives. You'll be, people will, some people will think you're strange. They certainly thought the Lord was strange. And yet, you know, God walked in power. The Lord Jesus walked in the power of God. And things happened. Because why? He only ever spoke the Word of God. Um, and that is the test, the, the, the litmus test, so to speak, is your day-to-day conversation. And the way you're going to get that right is you have to get the Word of God in your heart in abundance. And then it will fly out automatically. Another thing that we have to do um, in order to have what we say is you're going to have to say something exists before it's made manifest. Okay? God the Father operates in exactly that manner. He calls those things that do not exist as though they did. And so it's important that we speak. Remember Jesus said, you've got to say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Um, You've got to speak to that fig tree. And when you do, then it happens. So you can't say, Lord, I'll believe it, and then I believe it, and I'll say it when I I see it. No, you've got to say it before you see it. It has to come out of your mouth in order for it to be made manifest. God uh, calls those things that do not exist. They don't exist. They're just not there. But he calls those things that do not exist as if they did. And so when God speaks... He's God, and that's how God works. If, because He's the one who's the creator. He's the one that gets this thing to be materializing. Um, and because He's God, He can do that. And we need to be, remember, our faith must be in His creative power, His ability to create that which we speak out of our mouths. He watches over His word to perform it when we speak it. Let's have a look at an, an example in Scripture along that line which is in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Um, Scripture says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And so this is God, our Father, speaking to Abraham. And he's speaking past tense. He says, I've made you a father of many nations. When he speaks to Abraham, Abraham and he says that, Abraham doesn't even have Isaac as a son. And Sarah's barren, and they're both very old. And so there's nothing in the natural that supports what God has said. However, God has now said it. He says, I've done it. I have made you the father of many nations. He's called those things that do not exist, right at the time that God's speaking to Abraham, it's not exist, it doesn't exist, as though it did. And because God is God, and that's how he operates. And we need to operate in exactly the same manner. We're his children. Carrying on in that verse of Scripture, it says, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and here we go, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God deals, he speaks things into existence, and he speaks it as if it's already happened. 
And that is how we need to be speaking as well. We need to be speaking as if it has already happened. Now, something you need to understand here, because this teaching can get distorted. God does not call those things that exist as though they did not exist. All right? There is a difference. God calls those things that do not exist as though they did, because He's a creative God. And so He creates things uh, with His Word. But he doesn't call those things that exist as though they did not exist. So, um, you, you, you get people that, uh, I, I, I don't know if I really can explain it very clearly. Um, let's have a look at what our Lord did. And maybe that'll explain. Matthew chapter 9 verse 24. Um, the Lord speaking, he said, uh, he, he said to them, Make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. So this is the instance where he goes and raises uh, Talita from the from the dead, uh, Jairus' daughter. Um, and so when our Lord gets in, you now everybody is there. The, the 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 little girl has died, and she's in the in the room. And they've got professional whalers uh, in in the Middle East, uh, especially at this time. And so they get called in and they start whaling and and going to care and all that kind of stuff. Um, our Lord comes in and he says, makes this comment. He says, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And now they ridicule him. Now, you must understand, this is a very um, serious matter because somebody, a little girl's just died. And, you know, they are grieving uh relatives and friends that are there the family's grieving we've got these professional whalers um, and so you know they, they're taking this all very seriously now here comes this this this, this teacher he's not Jesus was not a rabbi here comes this this man into this room and he makes the comment she's not dead she's sleeping and so you know, the Bible says they ridiculed him so you know they, they really <laughs> took Jesus to task about what he said there um, and Jesus had to get them all put out. And he say, Peter and John were with him, and James, um, and he has everybody put out. But listen to what our Lord said. So it looks like our Lord is calling those things that exist as though they did not exist. Now, I just said that God doesn't do it because the Bible says he calls things that do not exist as though they did. And so this scripture seems to contra that because here's Jesus calling something that existed as though it didn't exist. Why? Because he said this girl is not dead, she's sleeping. Um, but that's not what Jesus said at all. Jesus is talking about spiritual death. So he talks about at, at a higher plane, um, a higher level, because the little girl was not spiritually dead. Uh, if you go read the account, the Bible talks about when our Lord raised her, her spirit returned. And so she was sleeping. She had departed and she had gone to, um, well, at that time, to Abraham's bosom. And no, in fact, she went to heaven because she was a little girl. That's right. So she went to heaven and she was resting in heaven. And so Jesus was making a very true statement. She wasn't dead. She hadn't died spiritually. She was still alive spiritually. She was just sleeping. Uh, her, her body was, in fact, sleeping. Um, her spirit had gone up to heaven. And so Jesus was not denying that she had died. Jesus was just talking at a different level. Remember when uh, our Lord was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? And he, uh, he stays in, in, the, in the town that they were in for a couple of days longer. And then he says, let's go depart because I need to go wake Lazarus up. And so the disciples say, Lord, but if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. So why do you need to go? And our Lord then, because our Lord is now talking in the same level here, because Lazarus had also not died spiritually. Lazarus had fallen asleep, and Jesus was going to go get his spirit back. And that's what our Lord was saying, I need to go wake him up. And so uh, the disciples don't understand this level of talking. They don't, the spiritual things are hidden from them at this time. And so our Lord has to now bring it into the natural. He said, Lazarus is dead, but I'm going to, uh, and I'm glad that I wasn't there, so I, you, you can believe, because um, I'm going to go raise him. And so the point I'm trying to get across here is God does not call those things that exist as they, they didn't. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus wasn't saying uh, she isn't dead. You know, she's, you know, I, 
this 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 state of death doesn't exist. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I reject it. Death doesn't exist. Now, he wasn't saying that at all. He was just talking at a high level. He was talking about spiritual death, not physical death. And so I needed to get that point because I think, it, I think it's the Christian scientists that do that. They, they pretend something doesn't exist and they, they refuse to acknowledge it, that it does exist and that they say it doesn't exist, whatever that might be. But that's not God. God calls those things that do not exist as though they did. God does not call those things that exist as though they didn't. All right, I need you to get that understanding very clearly because there is some weird teaching out there along that line. Um... Um, so yeah, where, where am I now? I kind of got off on a tangent there. And so God calls those things that do not exist as though they did. And we need to follow in, in our, our Father's footsteps. And we need to call things that do not exist as though they did as well. If we're going to walk and have things um, come to pass in our lives as what we say, the Word of God that we say over our lives. We're going to have to speak them over our lives. And uh, what you need to be speaking over your lives is you need to be speaking what God says about you. And so what is a very good exercise to do is to go through, especially the New Testament epistles, because it is only in the New Testament epistles that we see who we are in Christ and what God has done for us in Christ and who we have become in Christ. And you need to go see what the Word of God says about you as a born-again believer. And whatever God says about you, you need to be meditating upon those words and you need to be speaking those words over your life. And as you believe them and speak them over your life, God watches over His Word to perform it. He will then transform your life into that which He's already said you are. And so we, the Bible talks about the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so we need to be speaking, confessing that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what, that's what we say. And when we believe it and when we say it, God causes that to happen. And the Bible says, by His stripes we were healed. And so I can claim divine healing. I can claim walking in righteousness. Uh, I can claim walking free from sin. The Bible says he, we died to sin. And so we don't need to walk in sin anymore. I can walk in righteousness. I can walk in health because by his stripes I was healed. The Bible talks about the fact that we have the mind of Christ. I can think as Christ thinks. Old Testament said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Under the new covenant, things change. We now have the mind of Christ. And so his thoughts are our thoughts. We're meant to think as he thinks. We can think as he thinks. He gives us that ability. The Bible talks about the fact that he became poor that we might be made rich. And so we can meditate on that and confess, Lord, I am rich. And when we say, Lord, I'm rich, we're not talking about becoming multimillionaires. We're talking about having your supplies met. So having an abundance of Remember the Bible says he's able to make all grace abound toward you that you may have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. So God's will for his children is that they have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. That is the will of the Father for his children. And so, yes, we can confess that he has made us rich through his poverty. The Bible talks about the fact that he's been made uh, peace. He's given us his peace. And so we have his peace. We can confess that over our lives. The Bible talks about the fact that he's poured out his love in our hearts. And so we can confess that over our lives, that we can walk in his love. He, he's given us authority over, he, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, go ye therefore. And so all authority on the earth, he's delegated to his church. We have all authority on the earth. And we can confess that we have authority in, in our own lives. And we should be walking in authority in our lives. We don't have authority over people. We have authority in our lives, in our own um, households. Even in our workplace, think about, and I'll just, a, a quick aside, yeah, I'm nearly finished. Um, the, the, the centurion whose servant was ill, whose faith got that servant healed? It was the centurion's faith. So here was this, the servant, his employee, um, who was sick. And the boss's faith got the employee well. And so God, our, our influence um, spreads out even to our employees. We can 
have faith for them when they're going through hardship and whatever troubles it might be. And we can believe on their behalf. And God honors that faith. Because why? Because God just includes them under our umbrella of authority, so to speak. So if you have uh, a staff members at work who are sick, you, your faith can work in their lives. Um, the centurion's faith certainly worked in his servant's life. He came to Jesus. He had the great faith, and Jesus healed his servant. Servant wasn't involved in faith at all. The servant was just a lying at home sick and nearly, and nearly dead. Um, but here comes his boss to go to Jesus, and he said, look, I've got a, an employee that I really, uh, you know, well, he actually doesn't go to Jesus. He even sends the, the, the Jewish leaders to go speak to Jesus on his behalf. And he says, I've got an employee that you know, it really means a lot to me. It would mean a lot to me if you could heal him. And so Jesus honors that. Jesus heals him based on his faith for his staff member. So, you know, our authority spreads a lot further than we realize. And then he's made unto us wisdom. And so we can confess that over our lives. And as we confess all of these things over our lives, um, as we believe these words, and as we uh, put these words in our, in our hearts in abundance, and these words begin to flow out of our lives, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings good, for, uh, good things to pass. Those good things will start coming to pass in our lives. Um, we're going to have to consistently confess those words. As we do consistently confess those words, God watches over his word to perform it. And he then performs his word in our lives. And we will see our lives transforming. And we will see us walking more righteous and walking uh, with the wisdom of God in situations where it'll just come naturally because God is now involved. It's his power. His transforming power is bringing this to pass in our lives. And that is what it means when our Lord said he shall have whatsoever he says. It doesn't mean, well, I'm going to say I'm going to get a, a, a Boeing jet uh, to fly around and, and go on holiday with. That's not what Jesus is teaching us at all. All right, he's teaching us, have the word of God in your heart in abundance. And when you do, it'll come out naturally. And when it comes out naturally, I'll be watching over that word and I'll perform it. And you will see the transformation taking place in your life. And that is what our Lord is trying to get his church to walk in. Um, in applying faith to our daily living in this aspect of having what we say. And we'll end the teaching on that particular point.